It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. talk Padres baseball we've got you covered now is the right time to bring back Padres social hour as we await the start of the regular season Friar faithful get ready to sit back relax and join the conversation now coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond it's Padres social hour with your host Jesse Agler and good evening. Welcome back to Padres Social Hour. It is Wednesday. What is it? It is Wednesday. How about that? I was right. Uh, March 25th, 2020. It was supposed to be opening day eve. And of course, it is not. Hope everybody is uh, staying home, staying safe, washing your hands, all of those very, very important things. And uh, boy, would we love to uh, be talking right now about the start of the Major League season. Padres and Rockies tomorrow, 110. But of course, uh, that is very much not the case. So we're here to try and distract you a little bit. Have a little fun, talk some baseball, and uh, do what we can to help pass some time for you uh, in these evening hours. we got a fun one for you today. We'll talk all different kinds of things. We'll talk about what's been going on in the world of baseball. We'll talk about Big League Chew. We'll talk about uh, possibilities in terms of the schedule and the format of the 2020 baseball season, whenever that actually takes place. And to uh, start things off, very happy to bring in A.J. Casavell, who covers the Padres for MLB.com. AJ is the answer to a wonderful trivia question uh, when we rebooted Padres Social Hour because of the uh, delayed start to the 2020 season. He was the first co-host of the first show that we did last Thursday. Welcome back, AJ. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I'm uh, I'm I'm sad that there's no opening day tomorrow, but I'm happy to be on chatting baseball, talking baseball with you guys. 
And uh, we're very happy to have you with us. Uh, so thank you. I, I guess, again, you know, tone is such an interesting thing here as we're like having all these conversations and at times pretending like, all right, let's just chat baseball almost as if it's the off season. Other times, of course, you know, the, the reality of life is hitting us all. Um, so I, I want to do something happy here because I think it's worth celebrating birthdays no matter what's going on. Uh, plenty of people are having birthdays while locked in their houses. And uh, one of those guys is the Padres all-star closer, uh, Kirby A. So first of all, Mahalo. Happy birthday, Kirby. And uh, I, I doubt he's listening. He's got two young kids at home. Uh, but I mean, it does, AJ, give you and I the opportunity to kind of look back again at what was just like an unbelievable 2019 season. Led all of baseball with 41 saves, the 119 ERA. Uh, he made the absolutely difficult look incredibly routine, it seemed like almost each and every time he went out there. Yeah, he was incredible. And I'd be remiss if we're mentioning birthdays and not saying happy birthday to my wife, Emily, who it's her birthday tomorrow. Ah. So, uh, so I'll, I'll get, we'll, we'll be spending that at home too. Just like, just like everyone else who has a birthday at this time of uh, year, but yeah, back to Kirby. First of all, happy birthday, Kirby. He was incredible last season. I think there's a, there's a kind of long history of Padres closers that have been really, really good for uh, even in the last decade from Heath Bell to Houston street to Brad hand uh, Kirby Yates, probably among that recent post Trevor Hoffman group. I mean, the numbers he's put up are head and shoulders above anyone else. I think his story is really cool. His story to me is, is one that, that I think makes him really respected in that, in that clubhouse. And I mean, he was undrafted. He had surgery. He toiled in the minor leagues for five years. And he really, I mean, people just want to say he just developed a splitter and that's what made him so good, but he didn't just develop a splitter. He had to work on that splitter. He had to make it the pitch that it is. He had to make himself as good as he is. And he worked his butt off to get there. And now here he is probably, I would say, for my money, the best closer in baseball right now. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Uh, he is It's it, it is certainly worth celebrating him on his birthday because of what he's accomplished in a Padres uniform. It's crazy to think it was three years ago. There were I mean, he was basically left off the Angels roster in April. And the Angels weren't exactly overflowing with talent at that particular moment either. I mean, we've seen similar stories, uh, both in San Diego and across baseball, uh, but they are, as far as I'm concerned, like the best stories. Uh, you know, when you get a guy who, who's had to work the way he has, you know, he's not got the the talent that, you know, like a Fernando Tatis Jr. does, where sort of everybody figured, okay, yeah, this 20-year-old is going to have a pretty decent run at it in the major leagues. I, I mean, it's it's really an incredible journey, as you mentioned, and to be able to come from that to where he is requires an awful lot of hard work, which you talked about. And, and maybe the neatest part of his story is the way, you know, he sort of rededicated himself uh, to training and to baseball. He left Hawaii where he grew up, and I'm sure a lot of people know the story by now. Uh, you know, moved to Arizona full time so that he could work out, you know, kind of avoid surfing and uh, and really get down to, to baseball work. And he did that. It kind of synced up with the opportunity that he got in San Diego and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. And that's like as as me as a writer who's written this story countless times, who's written about Kirby countless times. I always it, it always pains me a little bit to when I when I have to condense it, because not everyone's going to read a thousand words every time. But when I have to condense it to say, well, he came to San Diego, he developed the splitter and he became an elite closer. I almost hate doing that because it does such a disservice to what he did to reinvent himself. Like you said, he moved he moved from Hawaii. He basically completely overhauled his off-season training regimen. He had to have the, the I get he, he really liked that slider. And I think he still thinks that the slider could be a good pitch. But he kind of had to have the uh, mental capacity to say, you know what, this isn't working for me. And I think a lot of players think what worked for them their whole lives didn't. It, it, it It's just... 
it's going to keep working. And he kind of said, you know what, I'm going to rededicate myself. I'm going to completely change things. Took this leap of faith. Uh, I, there's a lot more to the story. I think he, he also credits kind of having kids as, as giving him some perspective on things. And it's, it's a really cool story. And, um, I, like I said, I think, I think he's, he's basically, you don't see this story every day. It's just, it's, it, he went from maybe a, a fringe reliever at best to, I think, the best closer in baseball. And that's something worth celebrating. As we're talking about pitch selection and stuff, I mean, one of the remarkable things, and I've talked to him about this, is that, like you said, he's not really doing it with the slider. So, I mean, it's it's fastball splitter, and you're seeing these highlights, right, against, like, the Rockies and against the Giants and against the Dodgers. He has to face these teams an awful lot in division play. You know, you're playing 19 games a season against those teams. He's coming out there to close a few of them. These guys have had a lot of looks at that fastball splitter combo. They still can't hit it, AJ. Yeah, and that's a testament, I think, to the work that he does in preparing for batters. Now, I mean, he doesn't go to in, in detail, at least with me, on what specifically he's doing to get there. But he he studies and he kind of knows what pitch to throw when. And he and I think he – it's interesting when you talk to him. So many pitchers want to talk about pitching to contact and getting guys, getting guys out by limiting their pitches. And obviously it's usually starters. But he tries to strike guys out. Like, he is not all that happy. If he gives up a deep fly ball to the warning track, I don't think he's that – I mean, he's happy he got the out, and obviously he wants to win games, and that's his pri- that's his first priority. But he want, he has kind of basically taken the last three years and studied the art of striking guys out. And he's – I don't want to say he's perfected it, but he's striking out 15 guys per nine innings. That's incredible. And he uh, – I, I think what's interesting with him is the, the splitter is obviously, like, one of the nastiest pitches in baseball, but the uh, – the, the way the fastball plays off the splitter, they're just I, – I've talked to a couple people who faced him about the – like you just don't know which pitch is which when it's, when it's coming. And so part of it is that his splitter is unhittable, but another part of it is that because his splitter is unhittable, his fastball is just better than it was, and it was always pretty good, but it was never this good. And so he's, uh, he's, he's kind of mastered the art of how to use each pitch when and make them play off each other, which is another – testament to the work that he does also i think he's one of those great tunneling guys that's kind of like a hot word in baseball the last couple of years if you haven't heard it you're not aware of what it is it's basically the the amount of distance you know between uh, the release point of the pitcher and home plate that the two pitches look the same and and for kirby it's pretty remarkable if you go and watch some of those videos i mean the fastball and the splitter look identical until almost the very very last moment and then all of a sudden the fastball just kind of zips and does its thing and the splitter uh goes down you know towards the dirt that makes it near impossible for a hitter it's uh it's it's pretty incredible to watch that thing at work yeah i wouldn't want to face it i'll say that much i mean he's it's it's interesting that like he was developing this late in the season and I think it was yeah it was 2016 when he was pitching for the Yankees like what happens if if he develops it a little sooner is does it, I mean his path his career path probably doesn't play out the same way but then again I think his struggles in might have been 2015 were kind of what forced him to maybe reevaluate some things and uh, he bounced around to I want to say this the Padres are his fifth different team. I mean, he doesn't really harbor any ill will to the first maybe three. He doesn't harbor ill will to the Angels. It's probably the wrong thing to say. But he basically said, you know what, I I, I kind of get it. I kind of get where these teams were coming from. I mean, he wasn't a successful reliever until he reinvented himself, and here we are. Uh, spring training, of course, this year was a little bit weird because uh, for the last however long we were there in Peoria, uh, clubhouse access had kind of been restricted a little bit because of the illness situation and the virus situation. Even before that, I was personally staying away a little bit more because a couple of guys had come down with the flu, Quantrill and Tatis, and I just didn't want to get sick. So I wasn't going in there. 
and figuring I had a couple more weeks left to talk to these guys, I wasn't having all the conversations I would have been having with the players had we known how much time was actually left in spring training. And and I bring that up because it was just me or did maybe you noticed, maybe you didn't, maybe, you know, I know we're both running around a lot during spring training. Was he flipping some curveballs up there in, in some of those spring training outings or did I dream that? Yeah, he was. And I'll, I'll plead the same ignorance as you. I don't know how, how serious that was. You saw a lot of pitchers do that. I mean, yeah. Kirby was doing it. Emilio Pagan was doing it. Uh, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't tell you who else was just messing with a curveball. That kind of stuff happens in spring training. I wouldn't say rule it out entirely because you know what, if Kirby Yates, if you're sitting there looking for a splitter or looking for a fastball and all of a sudden Kirby Yates dumps in a curveball that you weren't expecting, that could be, that could be entirely useful. So, um, We'll see. We'll see how serious it is when we get back to it. I think uh, there, there's his fastball and his splitter are not going to ever. Those are going to be his one-two punch, regardless. But if you mix in that third weapon, I mean, whether it's a slider or whether it's a curveball, it could be. It could be worth something. Yeah, I just. I'm glad I didn't dream it because I have no, a very didn't. distinct memory of sitting in the booth in Peoria and being like, "Whoa, that was definitely a curveball," and that's Kirby. So what's going on here? But I think um, I might have been in there with you when we were when the one the one time I was on. Maybe that was Pagan that was doing that. I don't remember. Yeah, no, I don't either. It's it's unfortunately kind of like a, a mashup right now. Spring training. It's uh, not a lot of distinct memories. It's just kind of a weird uh, couple of weeks with a, an unfortunate ending. Obviously. All right, uh, I want to move on to what is perhaps. Uh, going to be the news of the day, maybe not. Um, a lot of reports coming from the national reporters today. Ken Rosenthal, Jason Stark at The Athletic, Jeff Passan of ESPN, about a potential deal that is in the works between baseball and the Players Association to try, at least tentatively, to figure out you know some of the stuff that, that, that needs to be figured out if there's a 2020 season or when the 2020 season gets underway. Now, again, major, major asterisk and caveat here is that we don't know when the season is going to get underway. We really have no way of knowing that. It sounds like, based on those reports, that they would love June 1st or July 1st if that's realistic, but we don't know if that's realistic. One thing we do get a fair sense of is that, and we've said this before, the players in the league both would like to play as many games as humanly possible. So that kind of opens up, you know, some interesting stuff right there. Um, but I guess for me, the nice thing to hear is that like there's progress in the talks. And there was even, I think, one report that they wanted to be able to announce something by, you know, tomorrow, which would have been opening day. Um, but we'll get to the fun stuff in, in a minute, AJ. But one of the more recent things coming out this afternoon was about service time. And so like, let's just say in a worst case scenario, you know, there is no 2020 season. And it sounds like they're moving towards an agreement that guys would get the same service time for 2020 that they received in 2019. And I'll use one very specific example to kind of illustrate what we're talking about. That means Mookie Betts would become a free agent at the end of the 2020 season. And obviously, if you're the Los Angeles Dodgers, you would be kind of looking around and being like, oh, oh hey, wait, wait a second. We, we traded away some, you know, pretty serious talent to acquire this guy. And now he's going to hit for agency before he ever appears in a regular season game for us. I mean, it's kind of like a, a bizarre, fascinating subplot again in a potential hypothetical worst case scenario in which there is uh, no 2020 season. Yeah. I, that, God forbid that happens. I mean, that's, that's obviously worst case scenario. And, and it, the, the encouraging thing is that there have been, it looks like a lot of contingencies kind of put in place. I don't know exactly the specifics of all the contingencies, but more than likely they're looking at a lot of different options for how to make this thing proceed. And obviously I'll offer the caveat I've been offering all week is that there's more important things that have to get figured out before we start figuring these things out. But service time was probably one of the primary issues that, that 
I don't know. I don't know if contentious would have been the right word, but it could have gotten a, a little bit of a back and forth there. And that's that's given what's going on. You don't want necessarily want to see that. And I, it, from my personal opinion, it, it's just it, if if there is this agreement in place that's been discussed, that's nice to see because we. This is not. I mean, these aren't the things that you want to necessarily be. I mean, there's not there's not baseball to talk about. There are more important things going on. I don't think these are the things that that you want at the forefront of of the discussion about your sport if and when it resumes. But I but hopefully it doesn't come to that. It would lead to I mean a lot of sticky scenarios for a lot of different teams. There's just no way around it. No one could have prepared for where we are right now because it's such a it's just such a like completely out of left field awful event and. I mean, every team will be impacted. There will be, I mean, the Padres will be impacted. Every single team has a guy who is approaching free agency or maybe a year or two closer to free agent or a year closer to free agency where um, if they don't get what they want out of this season, now that's, I mean, that's, that's worst case scenario. And it and hopefully worst case scenario doesn't come about. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued by the optimism that kind of both sides have been showing here. Yeah. And again, you know, this is all, like we said, hypothetical. And if, if that ends up kind of being the direction that things go and, and hopefully it's not. And on top of that, we get it. We know there are far, 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 far more important issues, you know, and things to worry about than, than baseball service time or baseball, anything, frankly. But like we said, you know, we're trying to distract best we can talk a little bit of baseball and, and bring a little baseball into your lives uh, if we can. Now, you and I love having conversations about goofy baseball things. And that's sort of the next logical progression of all of this uh, because uh, one of the things written about extensively coming out of all of this is, all right, if it's not a normal season or if it's a very abnormal season, what can baseball do to try and capture lightning in a bottle and make the whole thing as entertaining, relevant, whatever word you want to use as humanly possible. One of the things that's been floated out there a lot lately is the idea of extending the season, you know, deep into the the cooler months or the colder months in some places and possibly doing a, a neutral site, World Series. Good piece of trivia. Has happened before. Technically, I believe it was in 1918, uh, the Red Sox and the Cubs in the World Series, which of course is a famous World Series because it's the last one the Red Sox won and before 2004. But uh, when the series shifted to Chicago, they did not play the games at Wrigley Field. They played the games on the south side at Comiskey just because it was bigger and they could sell more tickets. But uh, that's technically, I guess, a neutral site World Series. But they are throwing around, you know, the different ideas if they want to try and get in, you know, more than like 60 or 80 games if that ends up having to be the case. So, AJ, this opens up a world of possibilities. What kind of craziness would you like to see if uh, if we do something like well, that? Well, I, I keep going back and forth on this idea of scheduled doubleheaders. And I, I, I'm all for the idea of scheduled doubleheaders just generally. I think doubleheaders are cool. And, I mean, maybe maybe it's because we don't get to see them very often in San Diego because they're so rare because it doesn't rain here. I think I've covered one in San Diego, and I think the last one before that was 14 or 15 years ago. Um I, I, it, it's just intriguing when you frame it in the light of let's get more games in, so let's play a doubleheader because I think pitchers are, pitchers are already taxed a little bit, so you got to something would maybe have to change with the way rosters are constructed and with how you're going about um, keeping guys healthy and fresh in that in that scenario. Um, but that's just that's just interesting to me. If you play if you play the doubleheader once a week, that could be a fun kind of day and it could be a way to kind of combat this and i mean i'm like everyone else i want to see a lot of baseball games but if i if we're starting the season late i don't want to i don't want to be under the illusion that we're going to get 162 depending on if it, if it were to start as late as some of these reports have discussed and so how do we get the most games but how do we keep the product the best it could possibly be i don't know the answer to that but that the, the scheduled doubleheader idea is just one that really intrigues me 
So kind of along those lines, I mean, if if you're going to play, is the way I see it, if you're going to end up playing fewer than 140 games and maybe much fewer, you know, than 140 games, and again, hypothetical, who knows what actually ends up happening, uh, it's going to be a goofy season. It's going to be a weird season. We've talked a lot about that in the last few days on this show, just about, you know, the variance is going to be different. The volatility is going to be way up uh, just, you know, in terms of sample size and everything like that. So if it's going to be goofy, go full goof. Like, let, let's try some stuff out. Let's sort of say, all right, we, we know that 2020 is always going to be looked back at as the year in which things were not normal. So let's not try and make them normal. Let's try and make them abnormal. And we can kind of use it as an experimental sort of year. You mentioned double headers. Everybody seems to be in agreement that that would be a, a somewhat logical way to get more action. So maybe you do the both games are seven innings. Maybe you do one game is seven innings and one game is nine innings. It opens up the door to that kind of stuff. I see you smiling. Yeah, the seven innings thing is interesting to me because I like, if if that were the way that you just that you cram more games into the season, seven inning games would be awesome. I mean, like it's not ideal because it's not the way baseball is played. But if it's going to allow you to have a fresh pitching staff and be able to play double headers, it would it would create a lot of drama. Now I don't know if it's the answer because it's not a baseball game. It's not the baseball game that we've come to know and love and the way baseball's played and things are different. And I, I think you go into it with the caveat that we're not we're not playing. This isn't a, we're not going to all of a sudden go to seven inning games in 2021. Now we're not going to like, I don't even know if that's the answer for this year, but this year you're going to see things that happen this year in terms of the schedule and the way games are played and maybe even rosters being adjusted that are going to be quirky and weird. And you're just going to kind of have to accept them. You see that comment from John and you mentioned the schedule also. That's one other thing I picked up. I think it was from the Jason Stark article this morning. He said the way they're talking about it because of all the logistics involved with the scheduling and the hotels being booked and everything like that. They're actually looking at, let's say the season did begin on July 1st, kind of picking up where the schedule is, not making and creating a whole new schedule. So that would lead to some more weird imbalances and things like that. Padres and Rockies, Padres and Braves are playing a ton of games against each other or scheduled to you know, at the beginning of, of March and April. And, and so those games, according to this one report, this one plan would just not be played. So that would be, you know, for better or worse, you know, the different teams that have stuff like that going on. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff you, you can get into in, in terms of the schedule, but that's one of the reports out there, you know, from a very reputable source that, all right, if, if it does happen like that, they would try their best and there would have to be some tweaks to just sort of pick up where the schedule was. Yeah, I mean, the games, you have to play the same number of games and you're going to have to even some things out. But if you just yeah. pick up where the schedule was, like normally I, it, there's no reason to play an unfair season, to play an unbalanced season, but we're not, this isn't a normal time. This isn't a normal setup. And so if, if you're, if the Padres don't play any games against the Braves in the regular season, because they were scheduled to play the Braves, I think it was seven times in the first three weeks or first two weeks, even uh, if that doesn't happen, I mean, it's just that, that might be the casualty of the year, you know, like of what happens of the way the season goes like that, that, that just, just might be a result of, rescheduling things and and i don't love it i mean i'm a guy who just wants the like the fairest schedule across the board totally line up the number of games i know that in some ways that's not feasible because of who what which teams have to play where and when um but i understand that this year it's just it's just going to be different and so that might ultimately be what happens yeah we all uh, certainly accept that because of uh, larger issues all right you and i did a podcast i don't know two years ago uh, where we kicked around all kinds of nutty stuff because that's what we do. And you had an idea. Uh, it's very radical, uh, but one that I, I've thought about a lot. And perhaps in a weird you know, time like this, it, it's worth revisiting. Now, again, logistically with travel having already been booked, I don't know, but it's kind of a, a fun thing to throw out there uh, because your idea of basically, what was it? 
you, you play a seven game series every week? Yeah. So this is the idea that I've, I, I have framed this idea kind of in like a, if I could just see what it looked like for a season, I would just love to see how it played out. Cause I think it'd be really fun, but you play a seven game series every week, starting Friday and the series ends on Thursday. And if the team sweeps, well, the series is over on Monday and you don't, you don't play those middle of the week games, but you essentially what you get is you get a shortened season. Say you're playing 20 games, but you're 20, you're playing 20 weeks. Well, that's, that's 20 wins and losses. And all of a sudden there's all sorts of strategy that gets discussed. There's all sorts of, does this guy pitch this day? Does this guy pitch this other day? I think it adds a lot of drama to the season. It's just a, it's, it would just be a fun way to explore baseball. And hey, if the season's already going to be quirky as we probably is going to be this season, uh, maybe, maybe that's, that's a potential just, just for, just for 2020. Let's see how it goes. Let's see what happens. I, I, the big reason that, that I, that I pitched it though, I think there's two, there's two things that baseball could really benefit from the kind of real, like, that game seven feel that everyone loves baseball. Everyone. I don't care if you don't normally watch the sport. Everyone loves baseball when it's, when it comes down to that, like one game where everything matters and you get game sevens every single Thursday night where it all comes down to that. And you're seeing pitching changes early. You're seeing guys switch. I mean, I, I just watched the other day on MLB network, the uh, world baseball classic game where that was a winner go home game. And the game is just, just have more drama that way. So if you create more of that good. And I think the other thing is just the, the, the day-to-day storylines that you get in the postseason now, but you don't really get throughout the season of, well, do we move this guy up to pitch on three days rest because we're playing game seven this day? And so this is all wacky. This is all not – I don't even know if it's what I want. It's just a proposal that I think is interesting and fun, and we'll probably never see it. But uh, I, I, you and I like to shoot the breeze and come up with these kind of things. Yeah, we're a little nutty like that. We're going to drive some people crazy with our nuttiness, but uh, it is what it is. Other things, by the way, I've seen kind of floated out there. We talked about, you know, shorter innings in terms of double headers, uh, that kind of stuff. Other stuff that's been floated out, if it is like a weird season, just because maybe it is the time to get experimental, maybe you mess around with that, you know, international tiebreaker rule where in the 10th inning you put a guy on second base. Uh, maybe you mess around with a larger playoff field. Uh, you know, if you're saying, all right, we're not going to be able to play as many regular season games, maybe we can jam in some extra postseason games and kind of increase the size of the tournament. Uh, or maybe you play a separate tournament, a la the Champions League. That's something that has been floated by the NBA uh, in, in recent months as well. I know you're a big soccer guy. Uh, your team has been eliminated from Champions League contention, unfortunately. But uh, nonetheless, that's something with uh, great popularity uh, across the soccer world. And, and so that's another thing that's kind of been floated out there, sort of concurrent to the normal regular season. You know, you could have these uh, tournaments taking place. Your team was eliminated from Champions League contention about a year ago this time, so we'll 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 let that one slide. But uh, I I think it's it's I mean if if we're gonna go to an expanded playoff format or a different playoff format for this season, you look at kind of I think it was 1981 the year the strike kind of changed things up in the playoff format. There are there's a precedent for doing that, and I don't necessarily believe I don't know what the right answer is for the right size playoff format. I think maybe it. it gains some clarity if, if there's expansion or something, or if you're going to 32 teams, I don't, I don't know what the answer is down the road. Um, but in a shortened season, I think there is a possibility for some variance and maybe you have to kind of consider, well, this team that could be playoff worthy if you played 162 games and, and if, if you went a full season and kind of weeded out the contenders and the pretenders, well, maybe they don't get the chance to do that, so maybe the playoff field should be bigger. I don't know the answer to that. These are all kind of questions that have just that have just popped into my mind today. I I kind of think that that 
I, I, I love the value on the regular season. And I think that the more teams you add, the more that takes away from that. But in a, in a weird year, if you're only going to be playing X number of games, that's significantly less than 162. Maybe you change that. Maybe you gain revenue from the postseason that way. Maybe you add, maybe you add some, some element of fairness in that teams that didn't get the chance to prove themselves over a longer season get in. But maybe in a way you're also you're also watering down the playoff field. These are all questions that they're gonna have to ask themselves, and obviously it's all contingent on when this thing actually gets rolling. That's it. And uh, I guess all I can uh, say to put a cap on this conversation is I hope I hope at some point in the relatively near future we can have a real conversation about what the plan is for baseball because as of now, again, it seems uh, very secondary to everything else going on. All right, we'll have more fun with that, I'm sure, as uh, time goes along. Coming up uh, in a little bit, we'll take your questions uh, here on social, whether you're on uh, Facebook or Twitter or watching on YouTube. Uh, we'll do some Q&A with uh, myself and AJ coming up in a little bit. First couple of interviews, uh, guys, I spoke to earlier today. We're going to kick it off with uh, Corey Brock, used to cover the Padres uh, and writes about all manner of things for the athletic, including the origin of Big League Chew, everybody's favorite shredded bubble gum. Uh, it's a great story that uh, they kind of re-promoted recently. Talk to Corey about that and more. Uh, an old friend uh, who has uh, stayed friendly to us, Corey Brock, uh, covered the Padres uh, for a lot of years, MLB.com, and uh, now writes about the Seattle Mariners and beyond in the great Northwest uh, for the Athletic. Uh, a wonderful figure in a lot of our lives for a long time. Corey, great to see you. Thanks for taking some time. You and your boys and your wife and family, you hanging in okay right now? Yeah, we're doing okay, Jesse. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to uh, reconnect with uh, familiar faces and uh yeah, I have six-year-old twins, as you know, so it's been a little challenging keeping them busy. Uh, uh, you know, I, we joke that my wife's the teacher and I'm the substitute teacher, and I'm a very poor one at that, although I do make a uh, pretty good lunch for the boys, so I'm going to kind of stick with my strengths as long as I can. Yeah, you're a, you're a lunch monitor. There's no shame, and that's an important part of the uh, the, the school uh, routine at the lunchtime and the recess. Those are... I think strengths for a lot of us, certainly. Uh, yeah. Outside of uh, helping to take care of your family, what, what is life like right now for a baseball writer? Yeah, it, it's it's quiet, obviously, and uh, certainly recognizing there's some bigger, more important things going on in the world, um, first and foremost, that affect not just us, but a lot of people, um, but also trying to balance a, a work schedule as well and trying to find interesting and maybe compelling stories to write about that aren't really associated with the 26 man roster or what could happen this upcoming season um, because we just don't know. So yeah, I think one of the beauties about working for the athletic Jesse is, you know, we get a chance to kind of do this stuff all the time, right? We uh, get a chance to stretch our legs and dig in deep uh, with some stories uh, today. We actually on the Seattle site, uh, we uh, ran a list of the top 10, sports cult heroes of Seattle and kind of did about 400 words on each guy. It was a lot of fun, got people talking. So I think people do want to read about sports. Um, you know, it's, I think it's just, it's going to be challenging, not just for us, but for a lot of people in finding ways how we present that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to fire up the flames, of the better cup at this particular moment. So we'll, we'll leave the, some of the Seattle stuff aside for the time being. Uh, yeah. Peoria was a pretty peaceful place uh, this spring when it came to that. Uh, there was a story and you talk about, you know, finding creative ways to tell stories or perhaps retell stories. And, and I thought you guys did a really smart thing. I don't know if it was last week. I honestly lost all track of time. It might've been three weeks ago for all I know. Uh, but, you know, sort of like asking the different writers their favorite stories and, and kind of putting them out there and, and 
retelling those stories. And, and you had one on The Athletic about, I guess, the origins of Big League Two, which I think for a lot of us of a certain age was like a really, really big deal, Big League Two. Shredded bubble gum. It made you feel like a big leaguer. You came in a pouch. You got to rip it open and put it into your mouth and look like a you know 1980s ball player, I guess, with a, with a big uh, something in your mouth. I mean, how much uh, fun was it doing that story? And, and can you maybe tease those who didn't see it uh, what, what they might be able to find inside? Yeah, yeah. This is actually the 40th anniversary of Big League Chew, which is uh, surprising to me. And you know what's funny, Jesse, is um, as I was kind of researching the story and talking to people, you know, I, it kind of occurred to me that, like, man, do they still make Big League Chew? I guess I hadn't been looking for it. And now the funny thing is, like, I see it everywhere, right? Sure. I guess probably because I'm looking for it. But, um, you know, I guess how I sort of got interested in this was probably the Netflix movie a few years ago, uh, the battered bastards of baseball, which detailed the independent uh, Portland Mavericks who played in the Northwest league with a lot of independent teams, or I'm sorry, a lot of actually affiliated teams. And um, the Mavericks kind of had guys from all walks of life. Right. And one of the guys they had, was Jim Bouton, a former Yankee great, and then certainly better known for his book writing in terms of being an author of uh, Ball Four. Well, Jim, during his short time with the Mavericks, struck up a friendship with uh, this left-handed pitcher who really wasn't very good, and he'll tell you that. It's no knock on him, Rob Nelson. And they were sitting in the bullpen one day, um, and I believe, if I'm recounting my own story correctly, uh, Jim asked Rob, hey, like, hey, have you ever tried chewing tobacco? And Rob's like, yeah, I can't. Uh, yeah, it wasn't very good. I think the any, I, I know I've tried it once and that was my last time. It was a long time ago. It was just truly awful stuff, right? And um, so they got, uh, Rob got the idea like, hey, what about bubble gum in a pouch? And so kind of from the smallest idea uh, grew this um, great franchise, basically. You know, Jim Bouton certainly had a lot more clout than Rob Nelson did. And helped shop this thing around and they found a home for it. And lo and behold, 40 years later, they're still making the stuff. It's still very profitable, but uh, it started out from a, you know, a, a friendship really. And, you know, Jim Bouton died, I believe last year. And I got a chance to talk to Rob who lives in Portland still about their friendship and their connection, not just about the gum. It's truly a cool uh, little taste of Americana and, you know, that involves friends, baseball, and uh, just how even the smallest idea can grow into a really big thing. So yeah, I would encourage anybody, if they get a chance to read it, it was just a really fun story to write. Yeah, it's uh, wildly interesting and entertaining. And of course, uh, well-written uh, and well-told. That movie, by the way, you brought it up. It's, uh, it is sensational. I think anybody who's any kind of baseball fan who hasn't seen it uh, would certainly enjoy it if they have access to Netflix. Kurt Russell also, right? I mean, that's uh, yeah. the neat aspect. Yeah, and Kurt's dad, Bing, a former... Uh, actor. He was in Gunsmoke and, um, you know, it had dabbled in Hollywood, certainly. And yeah, yeah, Kurt Russell played on the team for a little while. And Kurt was just like kind of the everyman guy, you know, he didn't want to. And certainly this is when Kurt was very young, but, you know, he had done some things, but he just wanted to be known as one of the guys. And so, yeah, you got this crazy story. Then lo and behold, Kurt Russell's playing for the Mavericks. Like, where did this come from? So just another uh, fun wrinkle to the story. And uh, his nephew actually made it to the big leagues, if memory serves. My uh, like late '90s Mets trivia: Matt Franco was a great left-handed hitting pinch hitter. Uh, I remember he uh, he's the nephew of Kurt Russell. Good baseball family. Yeah.
Yeah, definitely. Not too bad. Not too bad. They could do a lot of things, apparently. Um, back to the present. And again, people can find that story on The Athletic along with uh, everything else Corey's written uh, recently, which uh, is always outstanding. Um, anything you can kind of draw a parallel to with what we're going through right now? Obviously, from a societal standpoint and a world health standpoint, I, I don't know that there is anything in any of our lifetimes. But from a sports perspective and just sort of the uneasiness of the moment and not really knowing what is next, are there any parallels to draw for you? The only one, Jesse, I could really think of, and, you know, I still shudder to think of this, was 9-11, uh, just how that, you know, shut down a lot of things, the sports world being one of them. I was actually on the road um, covering the Triple H Tacoma Rainiers playing in the um, the Pacific Coast League Championship. We were in uh, New Orleans, so we'd flown there on the 10th of September, and we ended up being there you know, six, seven days, so they canceled the series. And so I think that's the only thing I could even come close to comparing it to, just in terms of the uneasiness, the the unknown, um, not really knowing what was going to happen next. And certainly we're in a, um, you know, at that, at that time, normalcy returned after a while, as it will in this case, certainly. But we just, you know, I think it's just not knowing when that's going to happen makes a lot of people a little anxious. So myself being one of them. Yeah, of course. Uh, I think, you know, tomorrow would have been opening day, of course, all around baseball. And uh, we're all trying to do everything we can to get uh, a little bit of taste of, of that normalcy. And that's what we're really trying to do on, on this show. Certainly, uh, Corey, seeing you, hearing you is a bit of that, certainly without question. Appreciate it. Uh, good luck at home. Stay safe, stay healthy uh, to you and your family. Yeah, you too, Jesse. Hope you and, uh, everyone there is, is doing well. I miss my time in San Diego, and uh, luckily we get a chance to revisit that uh, healthy series uh, two games at a time <laughs> twice a year. Uh, uh, I'll take anything, I guess, right? So, yeah, uh, yeah well, look forward to seeing you down the road. Yeah, plus 14 games against one another in spring training. <laughs> <laughs> if not more. Yeah. Awesome. Corey, take care. Thank you. Making fun of the amount of times the Padres and Mariners play each other in spring training, but like reality, true story, I'm fine with it. Fewer drives across the valley during rush hour. So no complaints from this broadcaster, just having some fun. Corey Brock of The Athletic, appreciate him very much. We're hitting all the outlets today. Kevin Acey of the Union Tribune coming up in a few minutes. We bring back AJ Casavell of MLB.com, and I'm glad I didn't mix up any of those uh, credentials and, and where you guys work as we're talking about it. Fast speed, you big league chew guy? I mean, I was. Who wasn't? I don't yeah. think I've, I probably haven't had it in 15, 20 years, but I, I mean, if we're ranking flavors, is a sour, sour green apple one, sour green apple grape. I mean, are you a big league chew guy? Big, big league chew guy. Uh, I wouldn't touch sour apple with a 10 foot pole though. I got to tell you. Oh, wow. I think that's definitively the best one. Really? And what are you like, basing I, this I on? I would put it on like a different pedestal. Like that's like really, really, really good. And the rest of it, I mean, I haven't had it. Maybe, maybe my taste has changed in 20 years, but like yeah. when I went to that little snack bar in this, in the corner of our baseball complex, four baseball fields, the snack bar. Yeah. Yeah. We the same. If green apple was the, like, it wasn't even a rotation. If they had green apple, that's wow. what I was getting. If, uh, if we had easier access uh, to big league two right now, and I feel like, you know, resources are, are, are best elsewhere. I would suggest we would ship some and do a taste test at some point on this show, but I don't, I don't want to be mucking up the, uh, the delivery services with something as inconsequential as that right now. Uh, but you're wrong on, on sour apple. I think I, well, I, what's yours. What's your go-to? Uh, grape was my favorite. You know, the grape. original, I think was like kind of an acquired taste. Um, it, 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 it wasn't great. It wasn't great. But then you sort of just overcame the flavor of it yeah. because you were excited about the fact that it was shredded bubblegum. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I just thought the Green Apple was just so much better than all the rest, though. That I mean, what else was there? It was grape, Green Apple, regular. Was there another one that I'm missing there? I don't think I'm ahead. You're a little younger than I'm. Well, I'll I'll Google this during the AC interview. But um, I I do know that I saw sugar free in the stores at some point in the last couple of years. Um, that caught my eye. That's that's new. I don't think they had that when when we were younger. We'll uh we'll we'll have to do some online polling or something on on favorite big league. Uh, two flavors. It's good stuff, man. Neat story too. So thanks to Corey. All right. Uh, continuing sort of our uh, whip around of the, uh, the media here, going to bring in Kevin AC of the union tribune. Uh, he was uh, one of the, the last folks to head out of Peoria from a, a media standpoint. Uh, what, I guess a couple of weeks ago right now, caught up with him this afternoon to see what's going on in the life of Kevin AC. Well, Kevin, thank you for taking some time to join us. And I guess my first question is probably something a lot of fans are wondering, and I I certainly don't mean for it to be flipped, but what's your job now? Yeah, I I, I mean, that's kind of the question for everybody involved in a lot of industries, uh, but as somebody who covers a baseball team that doesn't have any games scheduled in the foreseeable future, at least, what are you doing to to cover this team at this moment? Trying to keep up with uh, what's happening with Major League Baseball, what's happening with uh, some players, Honestly, sort of taking it easy. Uh, spring training is uh, is a grind, and, and the season is a grind, and I, and I love them both. And I'm I'm. We all know what was happening on Thursday, what was supposed to happen, and and uh, I'm trying to stay positive about it and uh, hopeful that we're starting here pretty soon. But uh, there really isn't a whole lot to do. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit different for all of us. Certainly, uh, you've covered a lot of sports, a lot of different things over the course of your career. Uh, in journalism, is there anything? I, I can't imagine there's anything like this. But what what's the closest thing, the, the closest comparison, perhaps you can make to what we're all dealing with right now, from a sports standpoint? Gus, the the, the strike was uh, before my uh, time in in, in professional sports. Uh, the last time there was a baseball work stoppage, the closest, and obviously, it, you know, it really doesn't even come close. But one of the first things I thought of uh, in spring training when you know they started to make some changes and it sort of seemed inevitable that we'd be to some sort of suspension was when uh, the fires in 2007 came through San Diego and uh, a couple media members, uh, I was one of them and the entire Chargers team went to Arizona to work out for a week. Uh, the game was almost moved. They did have a game moved in 2003, but they ended up playing their game here. Uh, it was the game that Arnold Schwarzenegger said, let's go Chargers. Uh, and that's about as, as close as I can come, and gosh, uh, since this is so surreal and is lasting so long, so much uncertainty, um, and opening day having uh, been delayed, this makes that pale in comparison. What's the most interesting aspect of all of this to you? I mean, you are a journalist, you're a writer, you're a storyteller, uh, you're always looking for angles and little things uh, that you find interesting to convey to your readers, to your audience. What about all of this right here and right now, aside from the obvious serious issues, you know, that, that are going on from a sports perspective and interests you most, kind of piques you most? That we're all in this together and it is a story I'd like to tell or, or that it, it's sort of the great equalizer. Um, doesn't matter uh, who you are, where you come from, how much money you make. Everyone uh, has a, a certain amount of uncertainty. And and as it applies to baseball, we all miss baseball. I got a story coming out tomorrow where I talked to some fans about what they miss about the Padres and what they're going to miss about opening day. And this always happens when I connect with fans. And I mean like really connect with fans via email, in person, on the phone, and you're talking about their fandom for the Padres. 
I always learn something. It always makes me tear up a little bit because everybody has their stories. Uh, if you even think about for yourself right now, well, everyone else has those stories about why they love the Padres. And it has to do with family and friends and Tony Gwynn and Trevor Hoffman. Um, and, you know, uh, the, the, just the history. Everyone, however different it is, there are some common themes that run through it. And I, I learned a lot doing this story and, and, and it touched me and I hope it touches other people. Very nice. We'll look, uh, look for that tomorrow in the UT. You were in Peoria uh, longer than most. I think I left three, maybe even four days before you did. You sort of hung out waiting to see what was going to happen in terms of players and workouts. Obviously, there wasn't much that took place in those couple of days, but you were, you were kind of everybody's eyes and ears, it seemed like, from an outside perspective. What were those couple of days like between the last game that was played, that, that rainy uh, you know, seven-inning game on whatever night it was, uh, through the time that you left Peoria and came back home to San Diego? Well, obviously what has happened to all of us in the last uh, week and a half has, again, made that seem uh, like nothing. That was the early stages of us all saying, what's happening? And when you are covering spring training, and certainly if you're a player at spring training, and Jesse, you know this, you, you're in a cocoon to a certain extent. And those players in particular are focused on baseball. Some of them are focused on trying to make the roster. Some of them, or every one of them is focused on trying to get ready for the season. And I don't know if people really appreciate how single-minded a professional athlete is. And then a little bit that goes for someone like me because it's important to me to tell the stories of the Padres and I'm locked into the Padres and I lose track of everything else. And, you know, it was Greg Garcia who, who said, I talked to him, I believe it was like Friday. So that would have been a couple days before I left and a couple days before he and others left. And he was just remarking, and here's Greg Garcia, one of the most self-aware and uh, I would say aware down to earth guys th that there is regardless of profession. And he was like, you know, a week ago they were telling us to wash our hands and be careful interacting with fans. And now the season's suspended. I mean, it just happened like that. Uh, and, and it, it really was, I, I, I'm not a very good writer, writer, I guess, cause I can't think of a word better than surreal. No, I think that's uh, sometimes the, the obvious word is the exact right one. And, and it is uh, when we're talking about this situation. Kevin's right, by the way. I mean, speaking as somebody who who reads like a crazy number of books and magazines and newspapers and websites during the offseason, I hardly touch that stuff during the baseball season, not because I, I don't want to. It's just that the baseball grind is so different than like anything else uh, in, in sports in terms of how we cover it. Uh, it. It just all seems to get pushed aside. And I think Kuhn was the exact right way to put that. We're just sort of locked into this little universe uh, of the major league season and the Padres season. So it, it is what it is for better and for worse. A little baseball talk before we let you go, just to, to return us to some uh, semblance of normalcy, if only temporarily. Um, watching the games, the workouts, talking to the guys, what for you changed most from when you showed up in Peoria uh, until maybe that last game in the ring? The intensity, and I've, I've said this to a lot of people, I don't know what it was going to translate to in terms of victories or the where the Padres were going to finish in the standings, but there was no question whatsoever that Jay Stingler, uh, coaching staff, had changed the way that these guys went about their business and the way that all the veterans responded. And I think that the single hardest thing for an individual to do is to institute change in their life and for an organization to institute change. Uh, the sameness is, is like a security blanket. And guys like Eric Hosmer, Manny Machado, and others uh, had really bought into what these guys were doing. And of course, you know, you really had no choice. I don't care who you are. You didn't have a choice but to buy into what Bobby Dickerson and, and Wayne Kirby uh, were doing. I thought that uh, Skip Schumacher in the role 
role of associate manager, uh, his hands and everything. That guy's a future manager for sure. Um, and then Jace Tingler, um, good. I, I will say, I will say good for the good. He reminds me of an NFL coach. Um, the, the, the single-mindedness, uh, the intensity, the attention to detail. And, and that is not talking about anybody in the past. I'm simply talking about what Jace thought. And I think everybody was ready for change. They were uh, ready for it to be better. And like I said, I don't know what that was going to mean once the season got started. But dang it, I, I was excited to, to, to see what it meant because I look at every season like a book. Um, I live it uh, for, for, for eight months. And I, I was waiting to see how you know the, we, this one unfolded. Yeah, you, me, and everybody watching, uh, both, uh, or all of us, I'm sure. Kevin, really appreciate it. We'll look for your story tomorrow on the UT. Keep up uh, all the wonderful work. Take care of yourself and your family, and thanks for spending a few minutes with us. It was great to see you, Jesse. Take care. Kevin Acey, the Union Tribune, earlier today. Uh, thanks again to him for joining us. As mentioned, we'll answer some of your questions. Whatever you guys got, type them in. We'll put them up on the screen and uh, banter back and forth coming up in just a couple of moments. While we were playing back that interview with Kevin, though, uh, Cassavelle, I looked up all the uh, Big League Chew flavors, by the way, better than we remembered because they all have cute names. I don't remember that necessarily being the case in the past, uh, but the, the regular one is called Out of Here Original, uh, baseball pun, Ground Ball Grape, uh, I guess. That doesn't, that doesn't sound good. It. Like the, the, no. grape, <laughs> the grape flavor is is good, right? Yeah, Ground Ball <laughs> Grape. Like, why I want ground... isn't what I would want to be mixing with the grape. All right, what else? What do we, what else May, we got? Maybe they came up with that before launch angle became a big uh, point of emphasis. Uh, wild Pitch Watermelon. <laughs> watermelon. Watermelon was okay. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, one I didn't know existed, Curveball Cotton Candy. That sounds terrible. And uh, your personal favorite, Swingin' Sour Apple. Swingin' Sour Apple. That's the best one. So uh, that's uh, that's what you think, yeah. And and like I said, I don't know if that's a complete list, but those are the ones I found uh, kind of in a, in a quick and dirty search. But uh, And I, I know I've seen sugar-free in the store as well. So good to know. Big League Chew, alive and well. 40 years, that's pretty wild. That's cool. Yeah. It's All right, I'm looking here for some questions. What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? Uh... I saw some good ones earlier. That's uh, the thing, man. There's so many people talking. It's wonderful, but it, it's it's hard to find them. I saw the churro guy was back in here uh, from, from Peoria, so that's exciting. Uh, appreciate him. Uh, AJ, I'll, I'll just ask you. Let's let's get romantic about baseball for, for a moment while well, some of these questions come in, and I, I organize myself a little bit better here. Uh, your favorite part of opening day. You know, I mean, it's again, it's supposed to be tomorrow. Of course, it won't be. It is one of the most special days uh, I, I think for all fans, all people who work in baseball, all people who cover baseball, what is it specifically about opening day that you enjoy so much? Well, opening day is kind of unique from from my perspective because almost every game I have something that I have to get done pregame. There's some news. And every now and then there is on opening day. Um, but opening day, pregame, after we're done in the clubhouse, talking to whoever we need to talk to, talking to the manager, there's usually a little bit of time for me to – and I do this everywhere. I do this in every city, every new ballpark I go to. I try and take one of the days of the series and just walk around the concourse and kind of soak in the feel so I don't forget. I, I'm not that I would forget what a baseball stadium's like, but that buzz is just kind of intoxicating. It's really, it's really cool. And on opening day, it just goes to another level. And so I, I, I my favorite part of an opening day personally is just before the game, I do a lap around the stadium and just seeing how many happy people there are, how many 
how many people who this has been what they've been looking forward to for months and months. And I'm one of them too, even if it's in a different capacity, that's, uh, that's my take on opening day is just that buzz in the half hour, 45 minutes before the game, when the fans start filing in and that, that baseball is going to be back. And you know what, that talking about it makes me happy in some respects and also sad that we're not at that point this year, but obviously, I mean, I like, like we've said a zillion times, there are way, way, way more important things, but I will say whenever that opening day is, or whenever that, that first game is with people back where people can be in attendance, it's going to be special because of, because of what, baseball means and probably we've probably all got a different sense of community now given what's occurred in the last month or two uh, i'm sure most of our fans realize this but aj has uh, been a, a playoff guy the last uh, couple of years from lb.com covering different playoff series uh, hired to do that because of exceptional work with with the padres and covering the padres how would you compare the sort of atmosphere buzz vibe of a postseason game as compared to opening day because i have some kind of interesting thoughts on that yeah, that's a good question and one I hadn't thought of. So uh, I'll start by saying that uh, the tension is just different because yeah. because people don't – I think people go to opening day and you obviously want the Padres to win on opening day. But if the Padres lose on opening day, it's not it's not the end of the world. It's not – the season isn't over. There, whereas in, in the moments – when it's a 3-2 count in the seventh inning on opening day, people are genuinely excited. When it's a 3-2 count in the seventh inning of game five of the NLCS – people are tense and kind of on the edge of their seats and really aren't, I mean, they're enjoying themselves because if your team wins, it's a heck of a time, but you don't get to enjoy it in the same way they get to enjoy opening day. You know what I mean? I know that was exactly what I was going to say. There's no fear on opening day because yeah. like, it's, it's more of a party, you know, like the, the playoffs of your team, it's just a little too intense to actually enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll get on board with that hundred percent. That's, Absolutely. that's, that's the buzz of any ballpark. And that's part of what makes baseball special is because it is just so freaking nerve wracking when you're in that spot, when you're in that, when you're in those big moments, but on opening day, you just get to kind of hang out and celebrate. I'll equate it to the, to the all-star game a little bit. Yes. Good comparison. I like that. I like that very much. Uh, that's to me, what makes opening day so special. It's not scary. It's got that atmosphere like the postseason does, but without the fear, which is uh, kind of a nice thing. Yeah. I saw a couple more questions about the bucket. I turned it around so you could see it a little bit better today. Uh, I'm using my wife's office here at home because it's having technical issues with the computer in my in my room the other way. And uh, so we, we still have leftover Halloween candy. We used to bribe my son to get him to do stuff because that's uh, apparently how we parent. So it's whatever works, whatever works. I put my chicken bobblehead back there, though. So it's uh, I got a baseball thing. I'm going to add one thing, a, one thing a day. I don't know if you can see chicken next to the next to the bucket, but we'll be adding those. Uh, a couple of people also I see asking about the the practices, which they're not really practices, but guys working out. Uh, at Petco Park right now, they're not allowed to have any sort of, you know, true organized workout or practice, but guys can go there. They have to do the social distancing thing, of course. You know, it's just a matter of staying in some kind of physical shape. We, we talked to Fernando Tatis Jr. yesterday. You know, he's been a part of that. It's got to be weird to be a player right now, AJ. Yeah, I can't even imagine it. And like, like Kevin said, these guys are so, especially during this time of year, I think maybe during the season, there's a little bit more sense of a normal life, even if it's, even if it's still an unbelievable grind, but during spring training, it's just so single-minded and focused on getting ready for the season on winning a job. I mean, you're, you are, you, most of these guys are away from their family in Arizona and they, baseball is the only thing that you focus on. And uh, we're at that time of year and the focus is not on baseball and the focus is on, the focus is rightly on making sure everyone's safe and everyone's healthy. But it is it is these players' jobs to be major league baseball players and to be in that kind of shape. And so 
Uh, I don't know what the answer is as to how you go about it and staying safe. I mean, I, I would put that in the hands of medical professionals and people who are smarter than I am. But there there has to be some sense of 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 going about doing your job because these guys will be paid an awful lot of money to play baseball when baseball resumes. And so I, yeah, it's, it's different. It's weird. It's, I mean, for them and for us, it's unlike anything we've ever seen. All right, let's wrap it up uh, with one more before we get out of here on this Wednesday. We'll be back tomorrow at five 30. And again, big thank you to our, our friends at Budweiser and Petco for helping to make this happen as uh, we bring you a little bit of a baseball distraction here. This topic has come up a bunch uh, in the last several shows. AJ, you might, I might've even talked about it last Thursday and it's about Mackenzie Gore. And, you know, I think all of us who, who cover and around the team would agree that, you know, had things gone as normal this spring, uh, Mackenzie Gore would not have been on the roster at the start of the regular season, but there was certainly a possibility that at some point uh, this summer, we would see him come up and make his major league debut. Uh, we, we talked to Eno Saris the other day, and when he brought up the possible, you know, shortened season and the higher level of volatility in the season, he was saying, hey, if I'm running the Padres, I'm not only bringing up Mackenzie Gore to start the year, whenever that is, I'm also bringing up Luis Patino because, hey, if the volatility is going to be up, I'm just going to go for it and see if I can catch lightning in a bottle uh, in what might be a little bit of a weird season. That sort of counter, I think, to the sort of logical perspective, but I thought it was an interesting thing to kick around a little bit. It's that's a really interesting question because the reason, and it's not the only reason, but the reason Mackenzie Gore wasn't going to make this team is because I think his career high in innings, and I might be wrong on this with the specific numbers, but I think it's around 101. And he's not going to go 160 innings. And so if the, if the season were to start March 26th and Mackenzie Gore's on the team March 26th, he's not going to be pitching September 14th. He's not going to be pitching September 28th. He's not going to be pitching in October if that's what your ultimate goal is, which it is. And so now the question is, what if it is a shortened season? Then do you take that chance? I don't know if the answer is yes. I don't know if he's one of the Padres' best five starting pitchers right now. We didn't get enough of a chance to see him during spring training, but there will be some sort of ramping up of pitchers before the season begins. And so maybe you give him, maybe you give him, maybe you give Luis Patino a chance to win that spot and say, you know what, let's let's go for it. If if they're your five, if they're two of your five best pitchers, and you're not going to have to worry about innings, well, give him a chance to make us to to make the rotation. I mean, this, it's it's. I, they're really they're going to be good in the future. Why not give them that shot this season? If if we this is all contingent on everything, and I right. hate to bring up the same caveats. We don't know when it's going to start. We don't know how it's going to work. But maybe there's maybe there's opportunity for these guys in that. You know, uh, sometimes uh, things are invented in a, in a in an odd time. You know, we saw the Rays a couple of years ago make the the opener thing. Uh, you know, kind of uh, in vogue, and and that spread through baseball a little bit. Who knows, you know, what teams might come up with in terms of the way they use their starting pitchers uh, because of the necessity of uh, whatever this season ends up looking like. Again, assuming uh, that it's, you know, not 162 games, which, of course, at this particular juncture is a little bit hard to imagine, but you never know. All right. I think we've done enough asterisks and caveats and uh, footnotes uh, to go uh, a, a good distance here this afternoon. AJ, great to talk with you again. Appreciate it very much. And uh, thanks for hanging out. Yeah, thank you. And once again, happy birthday to Kirby Yates and happy birthday tomorrow to my beautiful wife, Emily. 
Uh, very well done. Very well done. Happy birthday, Emily. Happy birthday, Kirby. Uh, happy birthday, Roy. I saw on Twitter. And to anybody else celebrating a birthday today, yesterday, tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow uh, at 5.30 with our final show of the week. Again, we're doing this uh, every weekday, Monday through Thursday, uh, just to try and help fill the void a little bit. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out. Hope you enjoyed this. Have a great evening. Stay safe. Wash your hands. And we will talk to you tomorrow night. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.